values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, the continuing conversation about inflation is one that the country is still having, especially here in the Valley. We have got the highest rate of inflation continuing here from the rest of the country. A lot of it has to do with our housing costs. I believe the next time numbers come out, it will have softened a bit because our real estate market has softened a bit, although it has not fallen very much. We also know that rent is extremely high. It's not just home purchases. It's homes to be rented. Um, and now with interest rates going up, there's a bigger concern. And the concern is this. There's been uh, a continuing concern that as prices were really skyrocketing for home value was going up, people were being priced out of the market because they couldn't afford the prices that were being commanded. Well, now, because interest rates have ticked up a little bit, we've seen a softening in the market. But if interest rates for homes tick up, you are going to see payments go up for people, which means they're being priced out of the market because of interest rates, not as much of home value. So the concern is, are we going to see an even greater softening? I don't think that's going to be true. I'm not the expert. We did talk not too long ago with Dave Ramsey when he was in studio. He was in town for an event and said, you know, he was around when 08 happened here in the Valley. And he said, we're not going to see anything like that. He doesn't see that happening. And I think that's good news. But the reason why it's so high here in the Valley still is housing prices are still extremely high. We continue to see an increase in food prices. But also, our gas prices have not gone down as much as other places because of the blend of fuel we use this time of year because of our air quality Um Restrictions or air quality concerns. So all of these things play a role in in this. The president was being interviewed, and I want you to hear the two parts of this this back and forth on 60 Minutes, and he was asked about inflation. It's the first part of this to me that's most concerning when it comes to the number numbers on inflation. Inflation rate month to month is just uh, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it's good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not. You may actually make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2 percent. It's been it's the highest inflation rate, Mr. President, in 40 years. I got that, but guess what? We are. We're in a position where, for the last several months, it hasn't spiked. It has just barely. It's been basically even. So that to me sounds so totally out of touch. Talking about the good things in the economy uh, is is valuable. I and I've said them on the air. Thank God for the housing, or I'm sorry for the job market that we have right now. Thank God for it. Thank God that people are able to find a job or a second job if they want one. Thank God that that's available to people because if it wasn't, this would be a disaster. That is the biggest concern for me here in the Valley with recession. If a recession were to happen, if Valley businesses were not hiring at the rate that they are, if they decide to hold off, if you start hearing about major corporations that are based here or have big presence here in the Valley, if they say we are putting on a hiring freeze or if we are going to pull back and have to lay off people. That's going to be a big concern because we are continuing and we are it's expected that prices will continue to climb. We may see overall it moderating in inflation because housing prices have cooled off for purchases, not for rent. So it may cool off a little bit, but we are still seeing a, an acceleration in the price for food and and for you know necessities. Gasoline prices are not dropping as quickly, which and I, again the other bright spot has been the drop in gas prices. You know, I, and I just look at this and think when you say inflation is only up a little bit. 
It is still the highest it's been in 40 years. And this is where people get frustrated. I know that, and I I, I give this disclaimer way too much, but I, I still think it's valuable every time. I understand my political leanings are never going to agree with the uh, the policies of the Biden administration. I admit it up front. I am not a fan of these policies. I don't think they work. I don't think they ever have. But I don't want to see anybody fail. I don't want to see hardworking people fall through the cracks financially. I don't wish this on anyone. I'm not happy about any of this. I would love to see inflation drop. But another indicator of inflation is we are still a destination and we are still growing. That is good for us. The fact that we are still the desert southwest, the southwestern United States, is going to be a destination whether it's parts of New Mexico, uh, we are going to see a ton of it here in Arizona. People moving to Nevada, they have immense growth there as well. This is where people are moving. The great migration is coming this way. When I was growing up, when I was a kid, it was, and we were a part of it, I moved from Cleveland, Ohio, where I was born, to southwest Florida in Fort Myers, Florida. I moved there in 1978 with my family. I was 11 years old. And um, so I grew up in southwest Florida at a time where there was this huge migration to the southeastern United States, from the Midwest to the southeast. And now we're seeing the same thing happen in the desert southwest. It's it's amazing to be a part of it happening in two different parts of the country. It, we used to joke when I was a kid, I met more Cleveland Browns fans in Fort Myers, Florida. There were more Browns backer bars in Florida in southwest Florida than there were in Cleveland, Ohio. And so it was just it was a sign of the times. You are still seeing a mass migration of people, wealthy people from New York because of the oppressive local, state and federal taxes, getting away from the local and state taxes and making their way to a no income state income tax state like Florida. They are having a huge increase in wealthy residents in Florida. It's happening in Texas. It's happening in Arizona. It's happening in Nevada because people of means are leaving. So we have a much higher inflation rate than San Francisco because. Because their cost of living is so much higher than ours. So people there are selling homes for $1.2, $1.3 million and buying the same home here for $600,000. So they are actually feeling as if they're getting a great deal. They actually can take a pay cut. If, if any of us were to take the money that we're making right now, I would say almost all of us. There might be some of you out there that it wouldn't matter. But almost any of us, if we were given the exact same paycheck we have now and relocated to L.A. or relocated to San Francisco or just about anywhere, San Diego, in California, the cost of living is so much higher there, our, our quality of life would diminish Really quickly. There are a lot of people that are relocating from San Francisco area and New York that are taking a pay cut and living a better lifestyle because the cost of living is still here much lower. That doesn't mean because of where we are. I've been in this valley for almost 28 years now that when you see prices go up as fast as they have gone up, your paycheck is not increasing enough. That's why we're seeing so many people right on the verge of financial ruin. So many people are looking for food assistance and they're looking for housing assistance because they haven't prices are going up a lot faster than their paycheck. I'm hoping that this moderates quickly because getting back to knowing exactly where we're going to be so we can adjust. 
You know, do wages drive, uh, you know, drive up the prices or the prices drive up wages? Your bosses have to give you a cost of living increase. We know it's coming with Social Security. It's going to be the largest increase they've seen in decades or maybe ever in Social Security benefits for people. But what does it do to also do to people that are retired, that are counting on their retirement income when the Dow is, you know, just under 31,000? It's dropped again today, a small amount, but it's still on the downside. People that are are, are um, you know re, uh, relying on those investments to live it makes it tough. A lot of people are going to be going back to work. In a moment, um, will Biden run again? He was asked that question in a 60 Minutes interview. We'll let you hear how he answered it. Is he being noncommittal? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Big interview with the President of the United States on 60 Minutes, speaking on a multitude of topics. One of those is whether or not he was going to run again. Um, there have been a lot of mistakes that are made. And where you stand politically, the mistakes get either blown up or they get uh, tamped down, one or the other. But one of the things, before we get to whether or not he's running again was what happened when he made comments about Taiwan. So um, I want you to hear a little bit of, of the things that he had to say. And this is the stance on defending Taiwan. He was asked about us if there was a military incursion and invasion. Would we defend the Taiwanese? We agree with what we signed on to a long time ago. And that there's a one China policy and Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving. We're not encouraging them being independent. We're not. Let, that's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes. If, in fact, there was an unprecedented attack. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. Yes. Well, um, that got him scrambling at the White House. They had to come back. They had to walk that way back uh, about what we would do. And that's an important designation. That's an important statement right there. And um, it's not to be really. This is why I believe the president doesn't do a lot of interviews, because you just made a statement saying that if they were to do this, we would back with troops. He was asked a second time and he said yes. But it's funny of all the things now that to me, I think is the most potentially dangerous comment that could be misconstrued or maybe he misspoke, whatever. But this is the one that got people on his side of the aisle furious. This was the comment that had people on his side of the aisle angry. The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. But the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing. And I think this is a perfect example of it. So people on his side of the aisle lost their minds when he said the pandemic is over. We have school districts around the country, not many, but some that are advocating for mask usage still. And there are still people saying when you are indoors in a public place, you should still be wearing masks. Um, So this is where we go back to the definition. This is where we either define or redefine what pandemic is. And people are racing to say, technically speaking, but they're asking for what is it, 22 billion plus dollars for relief. COVID relief. They are advocating for this huge amount of money for COVID relief. And the president is bragging about the the Detroit auto show that the first time they've had the auto show in three years, the pandemic is over. People aren't wearing masks. And 
Listen, I, I applaud what he's saying. There are so many people that I know that have been living this way forever. But you look at the numbers. They're still up. We're still over here in, in Arizona. And the number's off a little bit. But it's over a 10% positive test rate still as of last Wednesday. Well, last Wednesday's numbers. And you know that there's some inaccuracy there. And I'll tell you why. Because now there are home tests that are available. And there are many people testing themselves at home. That's not being reported to the Arizona Department of Health Services with a positive test. They're taking the test and they're throwing the test away. They're not reporting it anywhere. So we I don't know what that real number is. Now, I have been saying for a long time, back to normalcy is the right thing to do. But when you go out and you've been an advocate for boosters and you're an advocate for vaccines and when you're an advocate for masks in public places, when you're indoors and all of these other things, and you're asking for billions of dollars more from Congress in COVID relief and people on your side of the aisle in the United States Congress and the House and the Senate are advocating for this increase and spending, you go on national television and you tell everybody the pandemic's over. So they're having to backtrack on that comment as well. And this is where the politics make me laugh. Because the very same people that are saying to me, and I'm getting the messages, oh, you know what he meant. We're not in a pandemic anymore, but it's still a concern. He still said we have a lot of work to do. I want you to tell me how you would feel if Donald Trump made that statement. That's the point. You you base your criticism of a comment on somebody's political life and not on what it does. The president of the United States bragged that the pandemic is over and people are getting back to normal. And so now you've got so many people on his side of the aisle rushing out to put out the official definition of pandemic to make sure. But the fact is, the president has been irresponsible with some things that he said. When you go on national television and you say, if the Taiwanese are invaded by the Chinese, U.S. troops are going to back Taiwan. And you say it twice in a row in an interview. And the White House has to come out 30 minutes after the interview is over and say to everybody, hang on a minute and, and, and tell you what he really meant that statement is not a good one that's not something that should be taken lightly so now let's talk about him running for re-election here's what he said when asked will you run again and it's much too early to make that kind of decision i'm a great respecter of fate and so what i'm doing is i'm doing my job i'm going to do that job and within the time frame that makes sense after this next election cycle here going into next year make a judgment of what to do so I'm a big believer in fate. He's been saying all along he's going to run again. And I don't know of a president that says, you know, I don't want to run. What I don't know what he means by fate. What's it, what does fate have to tell him in order for him to run again? But then he went on to finish the thought about he made a he's made a commitment or he has intention, but it isn't a firm commitment. My intention, as I said to begin with, is that I would run again, but it's just an intention. But is it a firm decision that I run again? That remains to be seen. So we'll see is what the president is saying. We don't know. And that's going to be a definitely a political conversation behind the scenes within his political party. Um, if the president and the people in the Democratic Party and leadership nationally believes that this president can't win re-election, then instead of being primaried by someone, he may decide not to run and stand, you know, jump behind a candidate or watch what then happens in a primary process with the president not running again and then get behind the person that wins. We'll see. But if he doesn't think he can win and if his party doesn't think he can win, he'll either get primaried 
or he'll decide not to run again. And we'll see. I, I'm anxious. I'm as anxious as anything to see how that plays out. Is America in danger? There is one report about military recruitment being down so far that we may be have a national security risk on our hands. We'll talk about that and veteran suicide rates, which is something that is so sad to talk about. We'll talk about that again next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. I talked about this earlier. There are a couple of stories side by side that are very concerning. The first headline is Long, slow decline of U.S. military's all volunteer force puts America in danger. Um, so here's just the, the subheadline obesity, drug use, health problems, crime, and academic issues jeopardize U.S. military recruitment. Um, there is a standard for military service. Now, when I was uh, young, when I was in high school, you didn't even have to have a high school diploma to join the military. I could join the Army at 17 years old without a high school diploma. Um, that's changed. They were going to change it back, and then they reversed that. I don't necessarily think that was a smart move. You take an exam when you uh, before you enter the military called the ASVAB, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. It is a test to see what your acumen is for certain things. Um, I aced the ASVAB test when I took it. And so even though I was doing poorly in high school, I was – I was I could be educated. I was uh, smart enough to be educated. I just wasn't disciplined enough. Um, the military offers a lot for people. Um, there's a lot of concerns here when I look at that headline. But the other one, side by side, talks about veterans, those that have served in the military. Study finds that veterans suicide 1.37 times greater than the VA reports. Now, this is something from the Department of Veterans Affairs puts out their numbers. And then the American Warrior Partnership worked with the University of Alabama and Duke University to gather data in eight separate states. And they found the numbers to be higher than the VA results. So these go hand in hand in my mind. Um, first of all, uh, it used to be just like joining the police force used to be a sense of pride for people. People enlisted to become police officers or firefighters to become first responders to serve their community. And that kind of that's gone away, not so much for firefighters, but certainly for police officers. The respect for the job has diminished with certain people in the community and certainly in the media. Um, when you have shows that are remarkably popular like Live PD was on A&E was a incredibly popular show. I love the show Live PD. It was incredibly popular. And then what happened with the movement in this country and the anti-police and defund the police movement, the show was pulled off the air. They're now suing another show for doing basically the same show. Uh, but it was immensely popular. There still is a huge amount of respect for first responders. I, I like the fact I do a lot of work with veteran organizations. As a matter of fact, each year I have the privilege or I have had for about 10 years now to be the master of ceremonies for something called the Veterans Medical Leadership Council, the VMLC. And it's a huge luncheon at the Biltmore and it gets bigger every year with sponsors that buy tables to hear the great stories as we honor the men and women from all branches of service from all of the conflicts going back to World War II. And it's a way for us to thank these men and women. And raise awareness because this organization raises money for veteran causes. It's an amazing organization. But to see the outpouring of love, to see the uniformed people in the room, people that are in the military now, but to see civilians and veterans gathered for one purpose, and that is veterans' causes, um, is so great to see. 
But why do we have so many of the men and women who have served this country committing suicide, whether it's the mental health issues from what they've dealt with or what they've seen or what they've done? Um, If it's the lack of care that they are getting, sometimes I think many of us understand intellectually. And fortunately for me, I don't suffer from chronic pain like a lot of people do. I have a bad back that bothers me, but it's not debilitating and it's not constant and it's not something that's depressing. And for a lot of people, when they're dealing with a chronic pain issue over long periods of time, depression sets in and it leads a lot of times to suicide. And when you've got veterans classically in the past that have not gotten the care that they need or deserve through the VA, and I'm not – again, I went through this earlier today. I am not condemning the people at the VA. I'm talking about the reality of how things were when it was exposed that veterans were not getting the care that they deserve. That leads to people – feeling as if they don't have a choice. They don't have a way out except for ending their life, and it's tragic. But as far as recruiting goes into the military – There isn't a sense, I don't think anymore, where people are looking at when, and I have friends whose children are now in the military, and I am so impressed when I see these guys that I coach. They were little kids when I was coaching them. They're now, um, you know, fathers and mothers, you know, from the cheerleaders that were out there, and there were girls that played for us as well. When they have children of their own, when their sons and daughters enlist in the military, I look and I think there is still a, a sense of pride, especially when it's generational, especially when you have, um, you've been in the military, your children go in the military, your grandkids go in the military. There is a lineage and a history there in a family. And we're not seeing that as much. One of the things that concerns me is just talking amongst friends. I have friends that served in the military that say I wouldn't recommend that my child sign up. For a multitude of reasons. Some of them are political, as you might guess. But for a lot of reasons, people just don't see it anymore as what it used to be. And it's sad for me because we need to have a strong military. And the fact that we are a volunteer force is something that the world should envy, that we have men and women that are still willing to sign on the dotted line and stand a post and swear an oath and do all the things that we say um, we're proud of. Willing to risk their lives for the betterment of their country and for the defense of their country. But we're seeing falling numbers for recruiters right now. It, part of it is economic, but it's also a quality of life thing, a way of life thing. With the, you know, you have to meet a certain standard. If you use certain drugs, you're ineligible. Um, and people just aren't able to make the grade with it that we keep talking. I keep talking about obesity. And you look at people that are not taking care of themselves, young people. It's a shame to see them not taking care of themselves. And then if they even if they want to make that commitment into the first responder community or the military community, they're not equipped. They're not ready for it. And I just think that we have to do a better job. We have to do a much better job of making sure that we are putting our best and brightest in the military. And it's what protects our country. It is what has made us a force around the world. Our economy, yes, but you have to defend it. Remember, it was Ronald Reagan who coined the phrase peace through strength. And unless we remain strong, we are going to find ourselves with our enemies knocking at the door. Everybody wants to knock off number one. And if they smell blood in the water, if they believe that you are vulnerable, that is when they come knocking. And I don't believe we're there. I don't. But we are seeing a trend that more and more people are either finding themselves ineligible or unwilling. And it's something I think our nation needs to address. And I hope we do quickly. In a, mo- in a moment, um, how much money is Arizona getting for electric vehicle charging stations? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I love The Doors. I don't know why they're such a controversial band. I love this band um, very much. So uh, welcome. Thanks for being here. Comedian Louis Black is heading to Celebrity Theater on Saturday, October 1st. If you're a Louis Black fan, this guy is one of the funniest political commentary people on the planet. Limited tickets are still available, but you could win a pair, a pair by visiting the contest page at KTAR.com. I love The Doors. Um, the comedian Dennis Leary. Um, a great stand-up, good actor, but a great stand-up guy. And he said, I can describe the Doors movie in one sentence. I'm drunk, I'm nobody, I'm drunk, I'm famous, I'm drunk, I'm dead. And that pretty much summed up the Jim Morrison story. Come on now, I see you laughing in there, Jeff, but you know that's a true statement. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm laughing. That was how Dennis Leary described the movie The Doors. That was hysterical. I'm with you, too, by the way. I think the Doors don't get enough credit for their creativity. and yeah. I mean, it's it's really good music. Yeah, their greatest hits album is still one I listen to digitally, of course, now. But, um, yeah, they're great. Anyway, thanks for being here. Arizona gets $76.5 million for electric vehicle charging stations. The state wants stations every 50 miles on the interstate. Um This infrastructure investment in the Jobs Act that Congress passed last year included money for vehicle charging and state-submitted plans. I'm going to ask a really ridiculous question. Is every charging station – and I don't know the answer to this question. Is every charging station free? Um, Like when you go somewhere in public, do you have to pay to charge your vehicle? Because I don't know the answer to that. I know it's – you know, you install it at your house. You're paying for the electricity. But if you go to a charging station in public or at a rest area or when you go – when you pull up, there's a couple of restaurants. When you go to Buck and Ryder at 44th and Camelback, they have a couple of electric vehicle charging stations. Do you have to pay for that? And I don't know the answer. But it makes me wonder how is it that we have to pay for fuel for our vehicle but – we're getting free charging for our electric vehicles. How long will that last? Will they ever? Will there ever be a place where you go on a on a road trip and you pull in somewhere? When you go in Europe, which I find interesting, Europe has different rules than we do for a lot of different things, and they're required. If you're a commercial driver, if you drive buses or if you drive 18-wheelers, um, you've got to stop every four hours for 30 minutes. You have to have your vehicle motors got to be turned off, and they track. They have trackers for the vehicles, and you're in a very big violation of their laws if you don't if you don't brake for 30 minutes every four hours. So when you're on a freeway in um, in Europe, and we were in France, and we were on a freeway in France, the, we were on buses, and we had to pull over every four hours, and we had to rest. So the bus had to shut the motor off, but they had these great rest areas that had restaurants in them and good food. I mean, really good food. You go in, get a meal, hang out, um, and rest, use the restroom, and then you were back on the road. Are we going to start seeing those pop up commercially just along the freeway instead of a rest area with a restroom and a vending machine? Are we going to start seeing areas with a lot of charging stations and a place to go grab a meal because you know it doesn't, you don't, you don't fill up, you don't charge your battery as quickly as you fill up your vehicles. But I, so I looked at this. 76 million, 76 and a half million is interesting. Um, and everyone out there that is a, a climate activist, uh, they get so angry at me because I get a little bit cavalier. And I, I will tell you, I, I will say to you that there's arguments all over the place on this. And we're going to keep arguing about this. Um, 
when you see a hurricane like Fiona that ravaged Puerto Rico, if you have not seen the videos and the pictures from Puerto Rico, my gosh, pay, pray for the people of Puerto Rico. It decimated that island with the rains. Um, but there were no, for the first time, I think since they've been recording this, there's not, there was not a named storm in the month of August. It has been an incredibly slow storm season in the Atlantic. Now, there was a Pacific hurricane. It, it hammered Southern California. But then we have this climate change debate. And these storms are going to get worse. Look, climate change does this. And other people like me say, well, then hang on a minute. Is this, this one year an anomaly? But in the end, we all want clean air. We all want clean water. We all want a better planet. I'm in agreement with all of that. My problem is with the activists that are sounding the alarm to how critical it is right now and how much danger the world is. The ice caps are melting. The, uh, all of the ice is melting. The icebergs, the, the glaciers are melting. Sea levels are going to go up dramatically. We've been hearing this forever. We've got five years. We've got 12 years. We've got just a small amount of time. And if we don't do something, then the entire world is going to be dramatically different. And we've been hearing this for decades. But what bothers me is who we're hearing it from. I'm just going to give you a headline. John Kerry, whose family owns a private jet, cautions impoverished African nations against natural gas projects. He went to these African nations and warned them and said, you should not be signing up for natural gas projects, which, by the way, would provide electricity for millions of people in those countries because of the carbon footprint along with it. The guy flies around the world on a private jet. This is where my problem lies. If you people actually believe that the world is in such imminent danger and ice is melting because of our, our, our collective carbon footprint, why would you add to it? Why wouldn't you fly commercial? Why wouldn't it? Doesn't it seem like the very simplest way, the easiest way that you could impact climate change? If you believe that our carbon footprint as a society is so detrimental that the world is going to almost end, doesn't it make sense that you give up something like a private plane? That you fly commercial? That seems to me to be one thing you could do immediately. That would help solve this problem or at least contribute to it. How many of these people own immense pieces of property and homes that they're paying to heat and cool to the tune of they probably pay more a month in their electric bill in some of these places than you and I pay in our mortgage? And they own multiple properties. Why wouldn't they shut some of them down? They do nothing to change their way of life, and they travel the world preaching doom and gloom to African countries that don't have electricity. You shouldn't sign on to natural gas uh, projects because of climate change while I'm jumping on my private jet to go preach to another country. That's my problem with climate change and the activists. So I give credit to those that actually live the life, and there are some of them that do, but a lot of them are just hypocrites, just hypocrites. So coming up in just a few moments after 11 o'clock, we're going to talk about tuition for dreamers. That's coming up next.